Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast, your go-to resource for all things real estate and all things St. Pete. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. And on this episode, I am joined by Frank Gemma with Caliber Home Loans. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, we saw each other at a realtor pitch last week and yep. we're talking about the current market and how it's behaving, how it's shifting a little bit. And I think our conversation um, was had a lot of great information that had useful tips people who are looking to buy or sell right now could use. So I'm so glad that you um, were able to join me and for us to have that conversation. Before we get started on that conversation, though, I wanted just to talk a little bit about your roots and you hail from West Orange, New Jersey. Yep. Yeah. Originally from New Jersey, um, you know, after I graduated Rutgers University it was back in the early 90s. I had moved down here to Florida. OK. And, um, you know, it's funny. My first job here was selling. Um, I was like 22 years old. I was selling nursing home policies door to door in St. Pete. That didn't wow. go really well. <laughs> now, when you went to Rutgers, what did you, um, what were your intentions? Did you have an idea what you wanted to do post-college? What did you major in? I did, you know, my major, I have a bachelor of science in economics. Okay. Um, so it, it was always, I always intended to go into some kind of business field. Um, not, I didn't, wasn't even thinking about mortgage at that point in time though, no. So how did you get into, so you graduate from college, moved to Florida. Yep. You're selling nursing home policies. Selling home policies door to door. door to door. That wasn't going well. Um, and I would, I when I was in college, I ran, I ran the restaurant in the student center. So okay. I went back to restaurant management for a couple of years, and I just didn't like the the hours and everything else. I had a friend who uh, worked for a bank here in town, and um, I ended up getting in their management program. So you know, now I'm managing a bank branch, and uh, that was. Um, that wasn't very, that was very, wasn't very challenging. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't at all. Uh, and one of my clients happened to run a mortgage company in town and she talked me into coming to work for her. And I was like, all right, whatever, you know, I was in my twenties. I'm like up for anything here. So, and here we are 25 years later, 26 years later. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I've seen the good parts of the mortgage business. I've seen the bad parts. You and I have seen some ugly together. We have. Yeah. Absolutely. Now we're just in, we're like we were talking about the other day, we're just in a market that's unusual because it's still a seller's market, yet there's room for buyers, Mm -hmm. still appreciating. Yet, you know, you have other signals where, you know, um, you see some price changes in the MLS. So I don't know. It's, um, It's interesting. Yeah. So when people find out that you are a mortgage originator, mm-hmm. what is the first question you get asked? What's the rate? Followed <laughs> close closely by, I'm guessing my number one question. 
Um, what's the payment? <laughs> no, I was going to say, how's the market? How's the market? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know what? That is, that is really, you're right. The two questions I always get is, you know, what are interest rates right now? I heard they're high mm -hmm. and you know, what's going on? How's the market? So my, my uh, answer to the second question, how's the market is it's opportunistic mm -hmm. because no matter, you know, depending on where you are, you may be able to take advantage of the opportunity. Correct. And you may not be able to. It, it, and you know what? It, it's funny because I, I'm not one of these people who say everybody should buy a house. You should, you should prepare to buy a house. Absolutely. Is only the home a good part of your overall financial plan? Absolutely. I was reading this study, um, and I forget which organization it was from, and they said on average, in the United States, 60 to 70% of a family's net worth is in the equity in their home. Right. So that means if you're not a homeowner, you're more likely not to have you know, a, a nest egg and a, a higher net worth for yourself later on in life, but also as a legacy for your, your kids. Right. And, you know, that's what, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people are trying to do, you know, you want to build up a good retirement for yourself, but you also want to be able to leave something for your family or friends or the organizations that are important to you. Right. It's kind of a forced savings plan. That it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, and you have to live somewhere. <laughs> exactly. You have to live somewhere. And, but the thing is that I don't know a lot of people put enough um, thought into when they go into the buying process, because a lot of people will just think about, okay, this is how much I'm paying in rent. And this is how much the mortgage is going to be. And the mortgage is going to be less than the rent. So, you know, let's do it. But right. the mortgage can change when insurance rates fluctuate, which we know that's happening a lot right now. Yes, it is. The mortgages can change when your tax changes. And, you know, the way that our taxes recalibrate when property ownership changes hands, I've seen taxes quintuple because yeah. of, you know, a, they're buying from someone who had had um, homestead exemption for a very long time and bought at a very different price point. Um, and you have to maintain the home and right. the cost of that can be, um, you, you know, those, those are big price tags when you have to put on a new roof, when you have to replace an AC. And mm -hmm. if you're not setting aside money, um, that money's going to have to come from somewhere. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's always the hard part, you know, when we talk, when I talk to people about, you know, buying versus renting, right? You know, we want to look at it a variety of different ways. You know, we want to look at it as, all right, well, is it going to, are you looking to reduce your payment? Because that's probably not going to happen. However, when you look at things like appreciation, you know, historical appreciation here in our area, where we're talking about right now in, in our West coast of Florida, mm -hmm. over the last 60 years is right at 4% mm -hmm. per year, right? Um, so when you talk about that appreciation and then you talk about reducing the principal on your loan, that's how you're growing equity in the house, right? So whereas when you're renting, there is no equity growth. 
But like you said, you do also have to plan for expenditures. Like I tell my clients, listen, you plan on spending about 1% of the sales price every year just in maintenance. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about like what you're talking about, capital improvement, roofs, and, you know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, fixing door handles and fixing toilets and mowing the lawn and just your regular stuff. Changing your air filters on Changing a monthly air basis. conditioning filters, right. You know, or having your service, whatever it is, you have to figure that into your budget. Yeah. Right? But overall, you know, if you look at that as an investment in your future, that's kind of where you use the house, not only as your home, because that's what it primarily is, your home. Right. But it's also a, a place where you can grow some wealth over time. Absolutely. One of the things I recommend, you know, most homeowners will get or prospective homeowners will get a four point when they're doing their search. So you know approximately how much life you have on the roof and the AC and the water heater. And I recommend that like the bank will have oftentimes an escrow account for taxes and insurance. Mm -hmm. that you set up your own escrow account for the the to set aside money every month you know if your roof has 5 years life and it you're going to get 20 years out of it divide 15 years by 12 months and set aside that every month so Correct. that when you come due for your new roof the money is there right and you do it with all of the major expenses yeah. And so then you're not having to take out a line of credit at God knows how much interest you would have to pay for that. Right. Um, and you've got that. Yeah. You know, it, and it's funny because having you know, doing it that way and what the way you're talking about is, is really, truly the way to do it, because doing it that way, you know, it, it turns something that would ordinarily be an emergency mm -hmm. into an inconvenience. Right. right. Yes. I, I mean, you and I both will probably agree on this. Like the money in my savings account, I'd rather buy cool, stuff, shiny stuff. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. I'd rather travel. I'd rather, you know, whatever your thing happens to be. I don't want to buy, you know, a, a roof. Uh, you know, I don't want to replace a washer and dryer. Yeah. Like, but I do like having those things in my home. Absolutely. And you enjoy having clean clothes and being able yeah. to do that for the comfort of your home and not having to go to a laundromat or send it out or pay well, the expense to have someone else do it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the one thing, you know, what are some instances when you are talking with prospective buyers on reasons why they may not want to buy right away or may not want to buy in general. You know, that's a, and this is why, you know, when I start off all these conversations with folks, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to tell anybody it's the right time to buy. Mm -hmm. It may be the wrong time for you to buy. It may be the right time for someone else to buy. So for example, not the right time to buy. All right. I have clients who, you know, will call and say, Hey, I want to buy a house. And then we start talking about their employment situation. And they recently started the business, but you know, they came out of the gate and they're doing really well at the business. Mm -hmm. So they're like, all right, cool. Let's go buy a house. Okay. Well, if you've been in business probably less than two years, 
you're first of all, it's very hard to qualify, you know, from underwriting standpoint. But your business really ha isn't totally established yet. So yes, I understand you want to take advantage of the market, but it may be more prudent just to wait until you know, yes, I could do this. Or even younger folks who are going to continue on their education. Like I'll give you an example, like my son and his wife. They graduated college, moved back down here, got married, and they were like, hey, we want to buy a house. I'm like, you know, I, I think that's awesome. I But, you know, my daughter-in-law's studying to go to med school. Well, they're not going to be here but another year, right? So is it really true? I'm like, guys, just save your money, enjoy your life, do your thing with your friends, and just rent for now. It's not a problem. I mean, you're not going to miss out because I'm pretty sure – I mean, well, we've known each other for at least a decade, right? And we've been selling houses the whole time. There's always houses to sell and always houses to buy. Right. So, you know, now there's, and there's other people who just, you know, they're watching late night TV and they're like, great, I'm going to buy a house. I'm like, okay, you don't have any money savings up. You're, you know, you didn't do a great job with your credit. And Okay. Let's work on that stuff first. So like a lot of times I'll talk to folks and I do what's called a mortgage plan, right? So if you're not ready today, well, let's put the plan together and let's see, maybe it's three months, maybe it's six months, maybe it's 12 months. Hey, maybe it's two years from now. That's okay. You know, you'll be selling real estate. I'll be doing mortgages. Let's put this plan together so we can get you in a spot where you can be a successful homeowner, not only um from a financial standpoint but where it really it's not a strain on your life right. and your lifestyle right yeah. yeah because there's the term house poor oh, yeah. where all of your income or the majority of your income is going into the house and you have to make lifestyle changes because you right. don't have the um extra money that you used to have to go right. out to eat or travel or whatever it is that you enjoy Right. And some people are okay with that, mm -hmm. you know, but other people aren't. And that's, a, you know, that's, we always have that lifestyle conversation as part of, you know, just like, just because I can get you qualified for something does not mean you should take it. Right. I mean, think about what you want your life truly to look like. Or that you have to maximize what right. your pre-approval says. You know, if you're pre-approved for 750,000, but you feel more comfortable you know, with a mortgage at 500,000, you don't have to spend all of that. Correct. I mean, why do a lot of people buy a house? So what? They can feel safe. They can have security, peace of mind. Well, if you're stressed out every day about the the payment on your house, I then I did you a disservice. Yeah. Right. I mean, because, you know, like I always tell people, I'm like, you know, we're going to be hanging out for the next 30 years. So, you know, I want to make sure we do this right, because otherwise you're going to be mad at me. Yeah. Yeah. And so sort of going back to um, a question that I asked earlier in terms of what question do you get a lot? You yeah. know, right now people are asking how the market is. And in, in addition to saying it's opportunistic, one thing that I have said is, you know, by definition, we're still in a seller's market based on the amount of inventory, but in activity, it's acting a lot like a buyer's market, yeah. right? Because buyers can get concessions that they weren't able to get 
a year or two ago. Homes are staying on the market longer. The interest rates are higher and, and that's having an impact on people who may be sensitive to interest rate fluctuations. Right. And so for sellers who maybe bought during the COVID frenzy, where if you didn't write the offer on the hood of your car as you're leaving the showing, you missed out on the opportunity right. and who maybe have had a home on the market for a month, two months, three months, and you know are, are wondering, oh my gosh, is this house ever going to sell? I must have overpriced it. Um, we want to talk about some different scenarios on mm -hmm ways or offerings that they may want to offer, um, maybe dissect the difference between a price reduction and a permanent rate buy down and a two one rate buy down and how those different scenarios play out for a buyer and why a seller may want to look at offering a credit versus reducing the price. Okay. So, you know, um, Everybody always talks about rate, but they're not really talking about rate. They're talking about payment, right? Because they're, they're concerned. And I'm, I'm going to just use generalities here. Most people are concerned about, hey, what's my monthly payment going to be? Mm -hmm. Right? That's why the, when the rates were 2 and 3 and 4%, the houses were selling so fast because the payments were a lot more affordable. Now that the rates are in the sevens, all right, and let me dispel a myth because I've heard this twice in the last week. They're like, yeah, rates, you know, almost doubled. So my payment's going to be double. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like your mortgage payment does not double just because the interest rates double. So let's take that off the table right now. Yes, they go up, but it's not double. <laughs> but right. So people really are concerned about payment. So and, and let's just you make we'll make the math easy for this conversation. If you reduce a sales price by $10,000, at today's interest rates, and at the time of this conversation, rates are you know somewhere in between seven and a quarter, seven and a half ish, depending. Every ten thousand dollars you drop the price, it's going to save a buyer seventy dollars a month, seven zero. Okay. All right. All right. That's not bad. I mean, I'll take seventy dollars a month. Right. right. So that, but that's ten thousand dollars. But let's say you have a, a sales price of, let's say, 450000 Somebody's putting down 10%, so they're borrowing, what's that, four hundred five. dollars Okay? If you gave them a $10,000 credit, right? And I'm going to just move this over here. But if you gave them a $10,000 credit, they would be able to buy their interest rate down from 7.5 down to 6.5, right? So now their payment, the same $10,000 that you were going to reduce the price, you're just giving to the buyer as a seller concession. Mm -hmm. It would reduce their payment by $252 a month. So now here you are, you're trying to, as a seller, you're trying to figure out, all right, what do I do to entice somebody to buy my house? Well, I could save them $70 a month by dropping the price. Or I could save them $272 if I drop, if I help them buy down their interest rate. All right. You're a buyer. Quadrupling the impact of that monthly savings. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's kind of, that's, you know, one of the strategies that we could use 
to help sellers help buyers because really it's it's our job as mortgage and, and real estate professionals to be able to put you know these pieces together for folks mm-hmm. right i mean right you're not going to sell somebody who wants a 3-2 single family home a 1-1 one, one condo uh, that's that kind of magic doesn't exist right right but if we could help them understand there's more than one way to structure the the transaction to help you know have the seller help the buyer get to where they want to be so that way the seller gets to where they want to be exactly you know it makes sense to do that that's what i do when i'm working with clients and and let's say you're trying to get to the end goal but there's an obstacle to work around um, you know, I always ask my clients to put themselves in the other party's shoes to say, what, what is the big hurdle that they're facing? Because if we can attack that, then hopefully we can come up with a, a solution that's win-win for both people. So right. for sellers, you know, right now, what it, what's causing buyers a lot of agita right now? interest rates, higher payments. Payments. So what's the bigger bang for your buck? To your point, whether it's a $10,000 reduction or you give a $10,000 credit, the seller is going to net the same. Correct. But a buyer potentially could save $70 versus $270. That's a big difference month after month. Right. And that's that's just on the, the permanent interest rate buy down. So Buy-downs come in two forms. They come in a permanent buy-down where you pay points and a point is a percentage of the loan amount you're borrowing to get a lower interest rate. So it's funny, you, you ask me, you know, what people always ask me, they would say, oh, what's the rate? And honestly, that's an impossible question to answer because we don't get a rate. We get a whole rate page. So today, rates might go from 4% to 9%. And for every single interest rate, there's a corresponding amount of points that you have to pay to get it. So it's like what you're paying up front to get a a certain interest rate. It's called a buy down. So you're saying, well, if the rate today is at seven and a half percent with no points, so you're not paying anything additional to the seven and a half. Well, at six and a half, it's two points. So you're paying two percent of the loan amount up front to get that two hundred and seventy two dollar month savings. All right, well, that's a permanent buy-down. Your rate is going to be permanently at seven, at 6.5%. Well, we also offer what's called a temporary buy-down. For example, a 2-1 buy-down. So, which means that, you know, the interest rate on your loan, the, the, the note itself is at 7.5%. But the first year, you pay 2% less than that. So you only pay 5.5%. And the second year, you pay 1% less than that. So you only pay 6.5% the second year. And then years three through 30, it's at the regular 7.5%. So it's temporary, doesn't fit. It doesn't stay fixed the whole time. Now it's not an arm, so it's not an adjustable rate because you know what your three interest rates are gonna be, 55 and 6.5% and 7.5% in this example. So people will say, well, why would I want a temporary buy-down? Because, like, I'll give you an example. In that same example, we said, you know, at 7.5%, 
the payment is going to be about 2800 on that $405,000 what we figured the payment would be about 200 uh, $2,800 and what was it $31 well if we do a 2-1 buy down the first year, the interest rate is 5.5%, right? So the payment, instead of being 2830 is $2,299, so it's $2,300, All right? That's $530 a month less for the first 12 payments on your loan. Yeah. That's huge. That is. Right? The car payments... That's, you know, a lot of, you could do a lot with that. You could do a lot of that. Or or you could do what you said at the beginning. Put the $500 a month in and replenish your savings because you just spent your money on down payment closing costs. Replenish your savings so that way air conditioner, water heater, dishwasher, roof, whatever it may be, you have some of that already funded. Right. And in theory, at some point over the next 24 months, the rates will drop and you can refi into a lower rate. Yep, that's correct. And you know what? For anybody who's listening to, to your podcast, um, and this is this is public information. This is not anything private. If you go to mba.org, that's the Mortgage Bankers Association, so mba.org, and you pull up their forecast, and I'm looking at their forecast as we're talking about this. So next year, Quarter one, they, they said rates should be down around seven. Quarter two, but should be down about 6.6. .6. Quarter three, 6.3. And quarter four, 6.1. So a year from now, we're at like, right now we're at seven and a half. One, a year from now, next, the fourth quarter of 2024, they're looking at it rates at 6.1. Yeah. It's a percent and a half difference. And then their forecast for 2025, by the end of 2025, they're talking mid to low fives. So yeah. your point, now you took this temporary buy down, you're, you're paying five and a half percent the first year, six and a half percent the second year. You're not getting a year three because in year two sometime, you're refinancing out of this loan and going with a fixed rate at somewhere in the fives permanently. Right. You know? So that's that's how you use that. But also the, the beauty of that is the seller can pay for your buy-down. Right. And it's it's the same roughly ten thousand dollars. Right. So you have all these different options that are available, you know, to make your your upfront more affordable. Mm -hmm. So it's a great it, it's a great tool to kind of explore. And you know. Typically, my, my process is I'll line up a couple of these examples next to each other. Um, and I don't say this flippantly. Like, I tell the clients all the time, I'm like, listen, I, I don't particularly care what option you choose. I want to present to you the options that I know I can get to the finish line for you and that your realtor can negotiate for you. Mm -hmm. Right. I, you know, I can't come up with something ridiculous and say, hey, Nicole, you know, go get a $20,000 credit on this. $150,000 house, you're going to say, Frank, you're out of your mind. I, there, Nobody's going for that. Right? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it depends on how motivated the seller is. You never know. Yeah. I mean, if the seller bought it for 30000 15 years ago. And they got to get out. 
they they may be willing you know so it's funny because i i actually got an email from a client yesterday that um was a you know prognosticator talking about you know these 10 markets nationwide that are seeing um price contractions and they were speculating that sarasota would see i think about four and a half percent in the next year a price contraction and you know he was asking for my opinion on it and you know i said it really depends on the neighborhood some are appreciating more than others and I haven't seen many areas in our area that are seeing contractions. It's a little deceptive because a price reduction doesn't necessarily mean that prices are contracting because a seller could have been a little um, aggressive with their asking price out of the gate. Um, but it also depends on when did that person buy? And, you know, most people I know who are putting their homes on the market are still net positive from yes. when they bought, um, you know, unless you bought maybe last year or, um, you know, you bought, you, you were one of those people that spent 80 or 100,000 over asking two years ago when you bought. Right. So it's, it's still all about perspective and where you are in your mortgage and where you were at your acquisition cost. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a couple of things you have. We, we always have to keep in mind. You're absolutely right. It, real estate, you know, it's funny. The old joke is what? It's all about location, location, location. And that is somewhat really true because there's some neighborhoods that are going to outperform other neighborhoods in any given market. You know, but like for where you and I, you and I spend a lot of our time, you know, West Central Florida, you know, the whole Western side is built out for the most part. You know, so in our area, they're either putting up million dollar high rise condos, or if they're doing new construction, it starts at 750, 850. It's, there's nothing, there's no like track housing where you'd say, all right, it's three, 400,000 that that's on the way far Eastern side of town. So do I see prices coming down here? Not really. And the, one of the other huge dip, well, two of the other huge differences, because you know, there's a lot of people who have scar tissue from 2008, nine, 10, it, it was really messy. Um, the big difference was that number one, at this point in time, we're underwriting the mortgages a whole lot differently than we did then. Mm -hmm. So everything is verified we have to prove an ability to repay. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So the delinquency rate is actually the lowest it's been in like 40 years. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. So there's not this glut of foreclosures that's coming. The, the other thing is, um, as far as our market, you know, last time I checked, and I kind of check every single month, and this number's been pretty staying pretty steady, we're still running 40% of our market is cash mm -hmm. okay which means they don't have a mortgage right right so even if they had to sell it a loss that's while they did lose the money it's not it's not causing mortgages to go bad which would further sink the market right right 
And, and, you know, piggybacking on that, if you bought in 2019 or 2020, the amount of appreciation that you've seen over the last three to four years has put people in an equity position where they've got a, a good amount of equity. I mean, mm -hmm. some people have 50% equity and okay. you're not going to foreclose on a house with 50% equity. No, I mean, nobody, it, like, nobody's going to give us their house back with all that equity in there. What are you going to do? You're going to call Nicole and say, Nicole, I have a financial problem. What do I have to do to sell this house in 30 to 60 days max? What do I price it at? Mm -hmm. And you're going to tell them, hey, if you price it at this, it's going to take this long. You price it at this, it'll be sell this quickly. Nobody, it, you know, you're not going to give the bank your equity. You're just not going to do it. Right. Right. I mean, so even if you have a financial problem, you could, and you have equity in the house, you can get rid of the house in a pretty rapid fashion at this point in time. Because, yeah. you know, I was reading something out of NAR that said still like, I think it was a little over 26% or 36%, I can't remember, of homes still had multiple offers. Mm -hmm. Which means that the demand is still there. You yes. know? Yeah. So, Which is playing into the inventory. You know, even though we have significantly more inventory today than we did two years ago, we right. still, in the big picture, don't have a, enough to tip it in buyers' um, advantage from, you know, an, an traditionally inventory standpoint, right? Because a neutral market is six months on average, and then below that generally favors the sellers, above that generally favors buyers and you know we're still what three three and a half months mm -hmm. of, in, of yeah. inventory yeah and it's always so funny because when i started in this business every listing agreement was written for at least six months and most houses days on the market you know before they went under contract it was 45 to 60 days and then another 30 to 45 to close so you're talking of a 120-day, 130-day period before you did anything, you know, before your house closed. And that's where the opportunity for buyers is right now. Because just as buyers are having a little shock with the, the interest rate, well, sellers are having a little shock with, oh, my God, my house has been on the market 20 days. And I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. It's 20 <laughs> days. It's okay. You know, yeah, it, it's not the 180 days that we were seeing in 2009 and 2010 when we had 18 months worth of inventory. Right. Exactly. And, and that was an average days on market. We're not even talking about, you know, I mean, I, I there were times that people had their home on the market for years, years. before it sold. Yeah. For the short sales and all that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, as a buyer, I mean, that's, you know, that's why we're having this conversation because there is opportunity because the seller is feeling a little bit anxious, right? Because they do want to get their house sold and they are willing that, you know, to have some wiggle room to negotiate. Yeah. And I would argue not every seller is feeling anxious. True. There are some people that are like, let me test the market. 
Let me throw it on there with, you know, an outrageous asking price to see if I can get it because sellers from two years ago were getting that. Right. And, you know, yeah, my response to that, or just because a home has been on the market 30 days, doesn't mean you're going to be able to go in and lowball ridiculous offer. You know, and, and I was reading numbers out of the realtor organization and the numbers still support every month I see and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but houses are selling at 95 to 97% of their initial asking price. All right. So that means you have a little room to negotiate, but like you said, you can't just come in and saying, well, let's drop the price by 20,000. Let's ask for this. And I mean, at a certain point in time, they're just going to say no. I will say one thing that's a little deceptive about that Uh is that the sales price to list price ratio is generally calculated on the price the home went under contract at. So if their original list price had a price reduction or two, it doesn't go back to the original list price. So it is a little deceptive. Um, okay. could be a little deceptive based on where it went under contract. Okay. Yeah. But, and I, I didn't know what the calculation was there because yeah. I only get the general report. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I will do that sometimes and go back and pull up, especially for homes that have been on the market an extended period of time. Okay. What was the original list price and what was you know, the, the sold price to okay. see what that true ratio is. Uh, um, I, I was trying to think of, is there anything else that we should be kicking around for buyers? Um, are there any other strategies that you would recommend or any um, common errors or misconceptions that buyers have when you are first working with them? Um. I'm trying to think of, you know, just misconceptions that I come across on a regular basis. You know, a, a misconception, you know, might be something like, you know, people are, you know, especially with credit, you know, they're like, well, I have good credit, so I should be able to get a loan. Okay. That's important to have good credit. Absolutely. But um, I always explain it like this. Think about a loan as like a chair, right? So a chair has four legs to stand. Loans the same way, right? You have employment and income is one leg. Assets is the other leg. Credit and debt is the other leg. And then the property is the last leg. So you you need all four of these legs to be steady, right? Before you can, you know, before the chair stands, well, before the loan stands. Same thing, you know, so you, you have to work on a variety of different things. You know, whether it's, all right, you know, my credit's in good shape. That doesn't just mean credit score. That means the amount of debt you're carrying, right? Because that's important, right? Employment, steady employment, documentable employment, documentable income. You know, we see this a lot with folks who are, um, it's becoming less and less nowadays, but used to happen all the time. Everybody in the hospitality industry, because there was a ton of cash tips. Mm -hmm. Now that everybody uses a card, You know, there's a whole lot, most of those tips are starting to show on their pay stubs, but you still do get it, you know, 
um, from time to time. So you want to make sure you have that stuff. Money in the bank. Um, I you know I get this all the time. They're like, yeah, I got plenty of money. I'm like, well, where's your money? Well, I have this much. I'm like, no, I didn't ask you how much you had. I asked you where it is. And they're like, well, it's at home. I'm like, all right, so you have your, all your cash at home. That's a problem, you know, because we can't verify cash, right? You know, it's got to be in the bank and it has to be seasoned. Mm -hmm. So it, it's stuff like that. And this is where like doing a little advanced planning, like for clients who think, all right, I'm going to buy in the spring. Great. You should be talking to a mortgage professional and a realtor now. Right. So that way you don't have to go out with them. You don't have to commit to anything, but you should really start putting your plan together yep. and choosing a professional to help you walk through it. Because there is a lot of, a lot of nuanced things that, and then there's also just a lot of local experience, you know, um, you've been in this market a long time. I've been in this market a long time. So, and we go to a lot of different networking groups. Part of that is for us to learn, right? Cause I don't know everything, you know, I can't keep track of every program but there's assistance programs, there's grant programs, and there's stuff that you can use to help your situation. Like our, our realtor organization that we're both a part of, where they're given a $6,000 grant. Mm -hmm. They're just giving you the $6,000. All you do is apply for it and they send it to your closing for you. Right. You know, as long as you're, you know, in the low to moderate income, there's some, you know, criteria, but that's a fantastic deal. And that's funded by your local realtors and your affiliates of that organization. Yep. But if, if you don't talk to a local professional, they can't educate you on what's available. Absolutely. And what you perceive as um, a debt to uh, income ratio that works with your budget and with your risk tolerance a bank may not have the same viewpoint. So, sure. you know, if you say a 90-10 ratio works just fine for you, the bank's like, yeah, not so fast. <laughs> right. Well, and also, you know, especially nowadays with the gig economy, mm -hmm. right? And I understand that, you know, people do multiple things and have multiple streams of income. And that's awesome because you've got an entrepreneurial spirit and that's super. Yep. Right. But we can't always include all of that income to qualify, depending on how it's received. So there's a lot of things that you want to do ahead of time to figure out, OK, what could I actually use to qualify? Absolutely. Yep. Well, I thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, I, I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. I hope that someone gleans um, something from this that they can use, you know, if you're looking to buy or you're looking to sell um, yeah. information that is useful. I will definitely put the link to the MBA um, in the show notes and okay. um, your contact information for people who want to have a consultation with you to find out if they're mortgage ready, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? You know, a, a lot of times most people just email me and then what I usually do is I just send them a link to my calendar and I have them choose a time that's convenient for them to talk, you know, cause I, whatever is open on my calendar, if they choose a spot, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these pushy people who's going to call 20 times a day and hound you about, you know, my goal, I feel like I'm more of an educator, right? You know, I, I was blessed to learn about money early in life. And of course, being in this industry for a long period of time, 
So, you know, I love to pass that information along to people, educate them, and to work with them through the process. And, you know, it, it, and to be fair, at this point, yeah. I've been doing this so long, this is the only thing I can do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be here for another 10 years doing mortgages. So when you're ready now, you're ready later. That's fine. It, it's not a problem. You know, we're here to help. Right. And, and the home buying part, it, you know, it's really cool to see people get into houses, whether it's first time home buyers, move up buyers, second homes, because they're buying that house for a reason. And it's fulfilling some kind of need in their life. And it's nice to be part of that. It really is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. I will make sure that your email um, and the link to your calendar are also in the show notes. So people Absolutely. Yeah, no problem at all. I'm going to send you a couple of uh, PDFs that you can you know, do what you want with, but you know, they can, people can contact you for them directly too as well. Um, but yeah, happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate all, right. all of the information. Sounds great. It was good spending time with you. And you as well. All right. Thanks for listening. If you'd like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to future episodes.